Hello, and thank you for joining us for our Watershed Sermon Podcast. Watershed is a worshiping community within Harderwijk Ministries. We gather at 9.45 a.m. in the Anchor Building on the Harderwijk campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Watershed community and Harderwijk Ministries, please visit harderwijk.com. We've been journeying through Advent. We've been talking about here across the Hardaway campus, the Christmas story found in uh, Luke chapter 1 and 2. Luke is the third gospel. It's the third book in the New Testament. So you have the old, whole Old Testament up to Malachi. And then you start Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are the four stories of Jesus. Luke is the third one. Um, but as we've been journeying through Luke's story of Jesus coming into the world, um, we, we've been talking about a couple different things, but I, I just want to bring up an image. This is a, a crayon and pencil drawing um, from, from Sister Grace Remington. And uh, it's just, it, I, I found it a couple weeks ago. It's, it's been captivating my imagination. As I think about hope, as I think about peace, as I think about joy, so I think about what we're talking about, that, that these things come, God, these are gifts to us in Christ in the midst of the world. Not only that, that, that these are gifts that through Mary, this, this child Jesus would come to reverse the curse, sin, of brokenness, death. Like there's something, I, I, I mean, so, so I'm a theologian, right? Like, I, I, I study the Bible, and, and I always think about Adam, right? First Adam brought sin into the world. The second Adam, Jesus, is the salvation, the rescuer of that sin. But then we forget Eve was part of the story. And as we're learning about the Christmas story, we know Mary's part of the story. This, 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 this holy mother who would, who would bear God, and she would be the first God-bearer. Like, there's something beautiful about this. You see just kind of the sorrow in Eve. You see the consolation, like the compassion in Mary. You see how Mary just kind of welcomes Eve, the story that was. It was marked by brokenness. That was marked by manipulation, the serpent that wraps Mary's leg. Right? This is the beauty of art. It leaves our imaginations up for some interpretation to think. It's all these things that seem to catch us and bring us into, lead us into brokenness instead of out of it. And yet this child that would be, would be born, this child like we're going to hear this morning that, that makes even John, who's in the womb, kick his mama so hard, she starts expressing joy. Like this child was meant not just to be a story in the moment, but a story that would reverse and change, alter history, past, and set a course for our future. I don't know, it's just this, it's an image for us as I thought about joy today that captures for me the truth of gospel. That God is working, has been working, and will work to turn back the clock on all that has been broken and wrong in this world. We've been talking, I've already mentioned this, like God is, right? God is at the center. Jesus in particular, this, this one who would come in the Christmas story is at the heart of uh, our hope, right? That our hope is God, right? It, it's not just what God will do for us, but it's God himself. It is Christ our Savior. 
There's a certainty that we can have in him in our life to anchor our lives on, that we, our future hope is marked by a person who would rise from the grave, not just die on a cross, but come out of the tomb. And so our hope, we know our life is, there is a resurrection available to us. There's a resurrection for us, and God can work that resurrection in us. We talked last week about peace, wholeness, shalom, and not only that, there's this contentment. I know I can be okay, not because of my circumstance, but because of the God who who reigns over my circumstances, who's at work in them whether I see him or not. Right? Mary could look and see God who is working, who has worked. Again, it was a God who made promises, who was fulfilling those promises, so the promises of the future she could rest in. Today we're talking about joy, that we can celebrate because God is our joy. Now, there's nothing wrong with celebrating in the circumstances. It's nothing wrong. We're going to talk about things that we enjoy that make us want to leap, kick, jump, scream, sing, right? Nothing wrong with that. Why? Because God is the giver of all good gifts. But you see, the gifts are never meant to replace the giver. So when our joy becomes anchored in the gift alone and not in the giver, our joy becomes circumstantial. But the gospel is this. God is never just simply circumstantial. Our joy rests in him. So Luke 1, we're going we're to dive into the Christmas story. Luke 1, we're continuing in verse 39. So Mary had just gotten the news, we talked about this last week, from Gabriel, that she was going to have this child. And she found peace in this. And so here's what we hear in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready. And she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. So she left Nazareth up north, probably a three to four day journey to go south, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So if we go back to the first week of our Advent, we celebrated, we, we heard about Zechariah and Elizabeth. So she went to go see these, these cousins of hers. So when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. <laughs> And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary hasn't said a word, but just Mary walking through the door, Elizabeth already knows because John is doing his job in the womb of paving the way for the Savior, Right, The Holy Spirit comes on her. She's like, man, why am I so favored that this mother right, of the promised one, the Savior of the world, would come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Right? Joy is celebration. Right? Joy is something that makes us laugh, something that makes us dance. It's something that makes us shout, right? How about this? Santa's coming! Okay, I better turn that turn it down. I know him, I know him. Woo! Right? Or or Buddy would say the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. 
I, I won't start singing. What are things that make you laugh? What are things that make you have joy, right? We binge watch Christmas movies. We binge watch Christmas specials in my house. Like we are, we go way over the 30 mark. And you might go, wow, you are wasting your time. Nope, we are laughing. We are celebrating in my family. We are enjoying this time, but we enjoy it together. It's something, man, it's great. You want to know something else that, that brought me lots of joy? Right? Everybody always tells you you got to find an ugly Christmas sweater. Now, some of you are going to deem this as ugly. I don't think it's ugly, but I finally found a Christmas sweater that fits me. <laughs> Made me want to kick something. I was so happy. <laughs> I love National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, okay? <laughs> Christmas Eve morning, what's Clark come down? Yeah, yeah, my Black Hawks. Yeah, we stink. But we got Connor Bedard. So anyways, I digress. <laughs> right? What fills you with joy? These circumstantial joys, these gifts in our life are things, I think sometimes this happens in the church, we poo-poo on those things. Yes, I just said that. Right? We diminish them. We, we look at the gifts and we go, oh no, real joy is not those things, right? Like, no, it's this, you, this no, no, you're going to, real joy and happiness comes through gifts that God has given you throughout your life. Think back at things that have made you laugh and dance. Cry because you were so lost in the, this amazing, like, think about the things today that excite you, make you want to jump. But you see the good news that's behind that, like I said earlier. It's not simply, though, the gift. It's the giver. Those gifts are always intended to point us to the giver. And he goes, if you want joy, you want something that'll really make you kick? That'll really make you erupt? It's me. Because there's a story that can sustain you. There's a story big enough to hold you. There's a God can fill you. Let's continue in the story because now Mary, Mary just goes off. I love it. And Mary actually, according to theologians, like she probably sings one of the most biblically, theologically, words about God, rich song about who and what God is in just these few verses. Remember, let's go back to last week. She's just this teenage girl who grew up in Podunk, Nazareth, who has very little to her name, and yet she sings some of the most beautiful words ever echoed throughout the human story. She says this, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She is erupting. Right? Our, our words just can't quite capture the jubilation and joy she seeks to express. Why? For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, me. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. Not because I'm something special, but because God is doing something special through me. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. If you go back to this summer, we did, we did a, a, a whole sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. 
And we know that holy means God's name. There's no one like him. There's no one that can compare. Holy is this God. His mercy, his compassion would be another word for it, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. Anytime we read this, I want you to be mindful that it's not that God's against the rich. It's against those who have been given much and who've done little with it. Right? It's an irresponsibility when, when God says he sent the rich away, those, those who squandered. Right? So he's helped his servant Israel, his people, remembering to be merciful. She goes all the way back to Father Abraham, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is what God has done, just as he promised. And then Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and returned home. Elizabeth had been pregnant for six, so added up. Three months. Uh, when's the child usually come? <laughs> right, she helped her aging aunt as she was coming to the days where John would be born. But what is a Mary? Mary erupts with joy because she knows that God is her joy. That the good news and the gospel for us is God is our joy. Amidst all of the gifts we may receive, it's the giver who is our joy, who is the source of our happiness. And Mary, beautifully in these words, again, sometimes our English language is limited. Things like Hebrew and Greek, it, 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 they can do things with words that we can't. Their words, their tenses, things like that, do something a little different than ours. All throughout, the verbs she uses, like, he has been mindful of my humble estate. His mercy extends. He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers. He's filled the hungry. He's sent away the rich. He's helped his servant. He's remembered. All of these words are a unique tense. It's called the aorist active indicative. You didn't learn that in English class. <laughs> but the aorist active indicative is a cool tense that says, you know what, what Mary's doing right there? She's saying, I'm praising God, the God of the past, I'm praising the God of the present, and I'm praising the God of the future. So when he has remembered, she's not just looking backwards, she's not just looking to the moment, she's also looking forward. Because her God, our God, is a God of the past, the present, and the future, all today in this moment. Father James Martin says this, and, and I, I got to thank uh, Pastor JB for this. It was in his reading um, that we found this, but I mean, it, it just nails this point home of God being our joy. Joy is not simply a fleeting feeling of an evanescent emotion, certainly an emotion, sure, but it's a deep-seated result of one's connection to God. A biblical joy is actually something a little bit deeper, a little bit more fuller. It's a result of our connection with God. Although the more secular definition of joy may sometimes describe one's emotional response to an object or event, religious joy is always about a relationship. Joy has an object, and that object is God. Folks, if we want to drink from the well of joy in our lives, 
You want to know where to look? Look to the manger. Look to the cross. Look to an empty tomb. Lift your eyes to a throne. Look to the God who has been, who is, and will be. Why? Because joy, joy is in the God of the past. Right, uh, Mary, she's, she references Abraham, and, and something cool here is we could go back to Psalm 105, and we can hear echoes of Psalm 105 in her very praise. Let's hear Psalm 105, verse 42 and following. For he remembered, God, he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Mary, in looking backwards, much like the psalmist looks backwards, reminds us that the God who is our joy is a God who has done great things. If you're struggling today to find some joy, I want to invite you to look backwards. Look at the good things that God has done. Look at the things that have made you laugh, and laugh so hard you've cried. Look at the things that may cause you to have tears in this moment because they are no more, but because they were so holy before. It doesn't mean, because I want you to hear this all throughout our conversation on joy this morning, the Bible is honest about joy. It never hides away from the fact that our joy is in the midst of the mess. Our joy steps into the Eve moments of our lives, Adam moments of our lives, where we experience brokenness. We're going to hear Paul speak. Paul it never hides the fact that, man, he's rejoicing in the Lord always, but you know what? He's also getting the tar beat out of him. See, our Christian joy, the Christmas story, offers us a joy that holds us in the midst, that can make and help us laugh in the midst of our tears, dance in the midst of our weeping. There is no other story in our life that has the capacity to do that. No gift could do that for us. But the God who has promise, the God who has worked, the God who has been for you, he can. The beauty is in Mary's conversation, right? She's not content, though, just looking back at, at a story in the past. Her joy is in the midst of God in the present, right? He's, he's doing great things in me. She's understanding, like we talked about last week, uh, we read from Isaiah 9, that the Prince of Peace, God was setting up an eternal kingdom. Guess what? She would know this promise in 2 Samuel. We read this for us, starting in the last half of 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. The Lord declares this to you. Nathan the prophet is talking to David, the, the greatest king of the Israelites. He says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, I'll establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name. And I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. 
And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Right? We know Jesus took our wrongs upon him. He said, but my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Mary knew in the present that the God who is our joy, the, that God is always at work in the midst of Henry Blackaby is famous for saying, the Spirit is always at work. God is always at work. Doesn't mean he just did it in the past. Doesn't mean he's going to simply do it someday in the future to come. But God is always at work. And she knew that God was at work. Why Elizabeth knew it, she confirmed it. John, the baby, kicking mama in the womb. And mamas, you all know how much you enjoy those, right? All I hear is they don't feel real great, right? After the first times of like, oh, there's a baby, woo, <laughs> right? But then all of a sudden it's like, man, this is getting uncomfortable. But Elizabeth, John confirmed, God was doing, God was answering and fulfilling a promise. God is at work today in us, with us. As we, were, we meet before worship um, every Sunday and we were talking, and Drew said something uh, just really great, of the fact that God who has come in Jesus, we think about this in Advent, is with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit now, will come again. And I love that fill-in, because I think oftentimes we forget the presence of God now through the Holy Spirit. Advent reminds us God has come. Jesus has come. It's a historical fact. Roman historians, Jewish historians to others have, have said it, have proved it. Listen, he's a real dude. Eyewitnesses testified to his resurrection. You may not want to agree with it or see it, but it's true. And yet, he didn't just work then. God's presence is with us today through the Spirit. If there's something we can rejoice in is God hasn't left you. God will never leave you. Just as he was with Abraham and made promises, just as he was with David and made promises, God is with you and makes promises. Our joy is in the, a God of the past, a God of the present, our joy is also, Christian joy especially, is in a God of the future. A God in the future that takes that story of, you know, that picture of, of Mary and Eve. It says, I'm making all things new. Right? God promised this in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel had a vision. As, as the people were in Babylon in exile, remember, joy comes in the midst the Bible doesn't hide the in the midst. We are not a happy, happy, joy, joy, yay, yay, yay. Nothing's ever wrong, people. If you do that, man, all people see is fake people. The beauty of Jesus is we don't have to be fake. We don't have to hide our tears. We don't have to hide the things that have exiled us and pushed us away. And yet God doesn't leave us in those moments. He gives Daniel a vision. A vision of a kingdom that will come. Not only that was being inaugurated in Jesus, but will come when he, he returns. Just in Jet, Daniel 2, is this whole vision, it's longer. Feel free to go there and read it. But in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. 
I don't know about you, but that can spark some joy. (laughs) There's going to be a kingdom that can never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. We're not going to be on the outside looking in. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. All of those, those kingdoms that have brought in oppression and brokenness. But itself, it itself will endure forever. He goes, this is the meaning of this vision of the rock. Right? Jesus is the rock for us. It's a solid foundation. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. Right, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. This vision for Daniel, he's like, okay, so this must mean God's going to wipe out Babylon. In the moment, he didn't understand what will come, but he just knew, okay, God's going to be doing something. I know Babylon's not going to rule the world forever. And then he knew there would be, there's some other kingdoms. And what we would find out through history is that then the Persian kingdom would come. And guess what? The Persian kingdom would be knocked out. And then after the Persian kingdom, there would be this Greco, this Greco kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of Greece. There's probably better English. Right? And what would happen to Greece? Rome would overthrow it. And then all of a sudden, Rome would be the kingdom. And what's the kingdom? Who's the Lord when Jesus comes in? Caesar, and yet one who would come, not a rock formed by human hands, but one who would be born of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. God would establish a kingdom that is forever. And what do we see in the life of Jesus? Jesus starting to show us what a kingdom that a kingdom of reversals looks like. A kingdom where he lifts the humble, where those who need to be fed are filled. Or those who have been dealt, man, just dealt, been dealt the wrong hand, will find that there's another hand full of life. A kingdom that is filled with hope and certainty. It's unshakable. A kingdom that, that actually fills and gives us wholeness and contentment amidst the things that can be taken away. A kingdom that can bring joy. The Apostle John, a follower of Jesus, he's often called the beloved of Jesus, was sitting on an island after, they, after Rome tried to basically burn him to death with tar. Found that they couldn't kill him. He ends up on an island in prison. And the book of Revelation is a vision, a vision to not only give John hope, but to give hope to a persecuted church. A church that's enduring Rome and its forces. But listen to what happens in Revelation 19. A future, a God of the future. A God who sets up an eternal kingdom. John would look in and hear this in Revelation 19 verses 5 through 9. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude Man, like the roar of rushing water, like loud perils of thunder shouting, hallelujah, praise the Lord is what hallelujah means. Hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. Why? For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for, this is great, in a vision, they even flush out what some things mean, right? Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people, which guess what? What are our righteous acts? Not only the good things we've done, but ultimately Christ's righteousness for us. That his covering for us welcomes us to the wedding of the Lamb. And then an angel said to me, he said, write this. Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. The next time he would say these are the true words of God would be in Revelation 21 when he says, behold, I am making all things new. I'm going to wipe every tear from your eye. Sorrow, brokenness, sin, that's going to be pushed on the outside. And you will finally fully experience that joy that we've been able to taste and see, right? That God is good, but a joy that we've been looking forward to and holding on to. Christian joy isn't just anchored in a God who has done great things. Isn't it just anchored in the moment, but is anchored in a certainty, a sure and certain hope of a peace and a wholeness, a shalom that will come. Our joy is anchored in a truth that all who have come before us have been resurrected in Jesus Christ and that that same truth is for us as well. That the in the midst won't be in the midst forever. Our joy, Christian joy, man, there ain't nothing like it. Funny thing is, Buddy the Elf, Santa's coming, Santa's coming. I know him, I know him. What happens when he sees Santa? You're an imposter. You live on a bed of lies, <laughs> right? <laughs> In Christ, oh no, we celebrate. Right, Paul, last week we said, how do we know this contentment? It's in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That, that can be a joy for us, a well we can tap into. But what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Right? There's something about joy that becomes a salve for us. It's not something that's meant to discard by any means. But man, when we can find joy in the midst of our tears, there's something that works that can breathe new life in us. And maybe it's just enough to hold us. But that joy is our God. This is part of why Paul will say this. He says, finally, brothers, right? Brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Right, our circumstances often define where we look and what we're focusing on. And it's not saying you can't. However, our circumstances in our situations are only part of a God's story that has been, is, and will be. And when we look to him who is, who, who is beautiful and noble and true and right, all of a sudden we can tap into the water of life. We might be able to celebrate in the midst. One of the reasons why we gather as Christians to worship on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, is so that we can dip into that well of joy. 
is so that the circumstances, we can remind ourselves and one another that the circumstances aren't the things that hold us. So that we're reminded that we weren't made to do this life alone. We're a part of a community of people. We have been, are, and always will be. Martin Luther goes back to the 1500s. He says this. I think he's, he's I mean, there's some truth in it, but he's doing Martin Luther-esque, and he's going to be like, Rah! you know, like, I, I can imagine, at home in my house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. Right? Like, I don't know. How many of you have listened to a worship song at home and been like, yeah, there's joy. Like, I'm, okay, Martin, you're, you're going a little hard, right? But here's the dude who nailed 95 theses on a door and was going up against the Pope. But his point is, sometimes, sometimes if we're just by ourselves, just in our circumstance, it, it's hard to remember there's hope, there's peace, there's joy. Because what does he go on to say? He says, listen, but in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart that breaks its way through. That sometimes I need to hear your joy to remind me that it's available. That sometimes I need to hear you sing when I feel like I'm in a prison. Tell me John didn't need to hear that and see that. That sometimes I need affirmation. I need Elizabeth and John to remind me that God is at work doing something special beyond what I can imagine. That sometimes I need to hear that there's a hope and be reminded that my joy isn't merely now. It, it, my joy has roots deep into the past. And my joy echoes and goes into eternity. I need you to help me live into that joy. I can't always sing. But when I can, you may need me to sing. When I laugh, you may be needing to be needing you may need to remember that it's okay to laugh. That those little nuggets that spark and kindle the fire, those are okay too. The Christian joy is so much more than the circumstance because the, Christmas, the Christian joy is God, is Christ. When we find our life our being, our wholeness in him. Let's pray. God, joy, happiness, it's part of the way you created the world. When everything is right, we can smile, we can laugh, we can be filled with a feeling that encompasses us, that sometimes takes us over. And Lord, you bless us with those things throughout our lives, through people, through experiences, through gifts, things we look forward to and anticipated, through even momentary Black Hawks Griswold jerseys. 
But you do all that to remind us, God, that you are a God who is present with us and you never leave us. And all we got to look back is Jesus has come and that you have promised to give us your spirit. Your spirit dwells within us so we can have some joy in the midst of our life knowing that you're not leaving us. You're not forsaking us. You're not turning your back on us. Even though we can't make sense of everything that's going on, we can trust you. You are. And you can. Lord, it's in the moments today that I ask for joy to fill us. Because our joy is also in the future. Our joy is in, when, in that day when all things are made right. Lord, it's awesome to see glimpses of that in our life today. Things being made new. But Lord, our eternal joy is knowing that you're going to return. That the God who has come, and, and it took hundreds, of, hundreds upon hundreds of years for you to do that. But you came. You fulfilled your promise. Lord, you didn't just leave us with your spirit, your presence, but you said, I'm, com I'm coming again. John got a glimpse of that. Lord, also help us have a glimpse of that. Help the echoes of your kingdom eternal ring in our ears. Lord, and as we gather together as a community of believers, Lord, as we gather together as people who are all on a journey, and Lord, this room is filled with people at different spots in their journey with you. Lord, I pray that the joy that can come in this space can also be a reminder for each of us that can help fill us on a regular basis. Lord, with a happiness that, man, this world just can't offer. But you can. A God who loves us never leaves us, never forsakes us, a God who keeps his promises, who got a God who is with us to the end and welcomes us into eternity. Father, fill us with this joy. Let that joy be a salve to our hearts. And let that joy sustain us, carry us in the midst until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's children said, Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our watershed community or how to support Harderwijk Ministries, please visit us at harderwijk.com.